1: I'm Jason Kander, and this unfortunately is an emergency edition of Majority 54, uh, the podcast that is meant to help you talk about, uh, you know, the most divisive stuff in the news uh, with your friends, your family, your coworkers who are leaning in the wrong direction politically. And uh, Robbie, we have a, a real challenge here um, because we got to somehow help people deal with the news that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, what a tragic day uh, for American history, Um, you know, such a titan on the court and a champion of not just women's rights, but the rights of, uh, of the most vulnerable in this country uh, throughout history and somebody who as a lawyer uh, and as a justice has, has really changed the face of this country. Um, I'm honestly, you know, we're, we're, we're recording this only minutes after we learned this news. And I, I think like most people. It's almost left not knowing what to say about it all, Jason. Um, what are yeah. your first impressions?
1: My first thought was, "What an incredible fighter!" Like throughout her life, but also, you know, even at the end, like it was very clear that she was not going to stop fighting for the causes she cared about, and that 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 turned out that meant that she she died while serving, and and that was that it was obvious that that was never. Anything other but her intention, like she was going to be there as long as she needed to be there, to do everything she could to preserve uh, the the possibility of protecting the court from the people who who wanted to do the exact opposite of what she wanted to do on the court, uh, and that's admirable. Like, I mean, that's fought to the very end.
0: Yeah, I think you know, when we both went to law school, and the they teach you this case in law school. Reed versus Reed from 1971, and this was a case that she pushed. She wrote a merits brief uh, for it, and it was the first case uh, to hold that the Constitution restricts discrimination on the basis of sex. And this was a a huge project of hers, uh, a a huge – she was instrumental in convincing the legal community uh, of this argument And at the time that she and others were able to successfully convince the Supreme Court back then in 71, um, there had only been nine women appointed to the federal bench in American history, and none of them had sat on the Supreme Court. And so she and others had to convince nine men uh, of an argument that the Constitution discriminated on, um, the Constitution protects against discrimination on the basis of sex, and she did. I mean, that's the kind of person she was, Uh, and she's fought against... She's basically been pushing the boulder uphill her entire lives. And I think one conclusion I have right now is we've got to step in and grab that boulder. Um, and as as sad and hopeless as it can feel right now, she was the kind of person who faced down insurmountable odds continuously and, and, and has to be our inspiration as we head till November.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably a little cliche to say that she wouldn't want everyone to, you know feel anything but hopeful or, or to, to stop fighting. But, but I think it's, I mean, it's quite literally and apparently true, right? That she, uh, that's not what she would want. Um, she would want, if anything, for people to draw inspiration from this. Um, so it's really sad. Uh, I mean, for one thing, like, it's really sad for America, but also, you know, she has a family. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, they're, they're just people who, who lost uh, a family member who I'm sure that they haven't, a, a, incredible amount of love for her. So I'm at least comforted to read that, you know, she died with her family around her. I think she, she certainly deserved that. But now it is our job to talk about what happens next and then talk about what the people listening to this can do about what happens next. So yeah. Robbie, so, what happens just, next?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, not, some, some, some short term, not good things. Uh, but it, there's, there's what people outside of our control are going to do. And I'm going to start with that, but then I need to, I think we need to end with what we can control because for mental health reasons and for the effectiveness of the next few months, we need to focus on what we can control. So um, just to give people a scene setter, uh, before Justice Ginsburg uh, passed away, uh, the court was split between four liberals, four very, very conservative justices, and uh, Chief, Ju- Chief Justice John Roberts, who's a conservative who had been um, signaling in some ways that he was an institutionalist in some ways and wanted to uh, preserve it, some of the integrity of the court. Uh, and there's cynical people out there who would disagree. Not, I wouldn't just say they're just cynical, but there are people who would disagree with me about my assessment of Roberts. But there is, even quantitatively, uh, you could see there's been some good good work done by the Washington Post and Vox to show like they chart his movement leftward in his decisions, and then they say that it's Roberts's leftward movement. Of the past few years is even more rapid than David Souders, which was a pretty rapid leftward movement. So there's some reason for hope there, but even but that was a 4-4-1, which was really a five four conservative split on the court before this,
1: and, which well, means now it is. Nowadays- I think I think we should make sure we characterize Roberts as. I, I think it's clear Roberts moved in response to what was happening around him on the court, right? Like I yeah, don't think he totally. ideologically changed. I think he said, okay you know, when the thing happened with Merrick Garland and everything, and, and I I don't know what his reasons were, but he clearly, and I think you're using the right term institutionalist. He, he has at least occasionally said there are lines. We don't know where those lines are. And I don't think he knows where those lines are, but he yeah. seems to have an idea that he has some responsibility to not let things get, well, they got out of hand, but to not let things get out of hand all the time.
0: Yeah, totally. And, um, yeah, I totally agree. And, so I want to just say that that's a trend that we're going to continue to watch, but it's a trend that only mattered in a world where it was four four one. Right now, when it's a world six three, uh, which is the likely world. So let's talk about that. So the Senate confirms justices. Uh, we don't, we can't filibuster it anymore uh, under the current rules, and so it's just a Republican majority. There are Republicans. The only hope we have here to stop this is there are enough Republicans in vulnerable seats. That if you are in North Carolina and you're in Maine and you're in Colorado uh, and you're in Iowa um, and you're in South Carolina, um, like you as a voter, as an activist, like one thing I'm getting a little ahead of it. But one thing you can keep in mind is that like these senators who are up for reelection in these states uh, can stop this uh, appointment. And why would they stop it? well because they blocked Merrick Garland under a principle uh, espoused by the right and by Mitch McConnell that in an election year you wait for the results before you appoint that was their bullshit but a uh, public e- excuse for not filling that seat and so the what like so okay i'm, I'm getting so upset about this That's that okay. I'm we getting just, ahead just of just our flow thing flow with it um, man. it doesn't matter uh, but so i'll i'll pause before i get to that other stuff so McConnell will push for this vote. There will be tremendous pressure on the right to fill this seat. Uh, it is likely that they fill it, but we can and must fight this thing like hell. The challenge is going to be fighting it at the two-front war here. Obviously, there are many fronts in the country right now, but the two-front war of this fight over the nomination and the election, and we have to bridge the two. We have to make it a, the kind of the same point uh, and we, talk about the implications of this vote.
1: We should point out that, this this possibility has been raised in the past with people like McConnell, people like Lindsey Graham, and one of the things they have said now this is a ridiculous delineation or, or distinction, but but this is the argument I've heard them make, which is well, with Merrick Garland, you had a Democratic president and a Republican Senate, you had a split government, right? The the argument yep. being that therefore there was no consensus, and and that in this case the what they're going to say or what McConnell's going to say is well, you. You have consensus. You have a Republican president and a Republican Senate. So there is no reason to wait, which is, of course, (laughs) like makes no sense. And it's just a collection of words that technically make up a sentence. But but it's not an argument. But that doesn't matter that they have the power. That's all they need. So I think you're right. There is the question of if you're Lindsey Graham uh, or if you're Cory Gardner or if you're Susan Collins, you know, these folks, Does this potentially cut? Now, I think in Maine, I think it could very well cost her, uh, the election because, you know, Maine is a place that is, is a majority. I I think Maine is a state that the majority of the voters would want a more liberal justice. And the majority of the voters have just been willing to compromise to have a Republican Senator. But that said, like, you know, if, if, if you lose your base politically, then it it makes no difference, right? You got to win the division before you can win the the pennant. So I I don't know where they come out. And I think you're right. I think we have to operate under the assumption that they're going to force their hand.
0: It could, you know, it's worth mentioning it could help some of these Republican senators. Right. Could rally uh, their base. Well, there's another version of this, right? If you're Susan Collins and you vote against the justice that could be good politics for you. Uh, it certainly would be. I'd be advocating both morally and politically. Like you'd be able to say, "Hey, I am that centrist." And the question is, how much of the conservative-based effects in a state like Maine? I think she kind of actually. This could work for her.
1: It could. You know? Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure she's an avid listener to the program, and so we yeah. should make sure. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 <laughs> sure, I'm sure right now she's drafting a letter about her grave concerns. And, uh, you know, maybe she should stop doing that and take a poll, but which yeah. I'm sure she's also doing by the way. Um, yeah, but yeah. So, okay. First step is, I mean, look, not to be like overly hokey, but what would RBG do? She, she you fight it one step at a time. You fight like Hell, the first right. step. And the first step is we gotta do everything we can to stop this. Uh, and that's going to mean organizing in these States. Fortunately, in a lot of cases, these are States that were already fighting this out in. And so, look, for people listening, if what you've been doing is making calls into Georgia, making calls into, you know, uh, Colorado, making calls into Maine, like, keep doing that. Uh, yep. Because that that's going to matter a lot in the very short term.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see if they rush this vote before the election, which is what I think they're going to do, versus wait until after the election, which could preserve some of these politics for the the Senate candidates. But I think what what the risk in waiting till after the election is that some of these senate candidates are they going to waffle between now and the election about what they believe in it's only going to hurt them so but, but mcconnell is one of the smartest people in politics he's he's a complete reptilian uh, brain he has he has no morals so but he is very good and he is going to do some, he's going to be pretty devious about this and so we got to keep an eye on him about that um so it's worth mentioning what the implications would be if and in likelihood scenario that they do uh, fill this seat with a conservative if you just looked at this past term there you know there was a case of McGirt versus Oklahoma which ruled um, that much of eastern Oklahoma is an Indian reservation so this is the land for um, you know you know Americans who've been marginalized longer than anybody else um, there's the June Medical Services case the Louisiana abortion law case which was 5-4 There's the DACA case, which is 5-4. There have been historic ACA cases that have been 5-4. So we're talking about massive, massive policy implications uh, just from the past few years. So this is huge. Now, one other thing to talk about before we kind of transition to some more um, what do you do, how do you talk to your family about this, uh, is that um, we have the ability, if Biden wins and we win the Senate, to add seats to the Supreme Court, and we better effing do that if they fill this seat. <laughs> I was wondering. You know I was saying? wondering what you were going to yeah. say. I think you made it pretty clear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you agree, but like, I do. If I do agree. Disrespecting the institution at this point, like it's like we we already have the 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 Garland one. I think like if I were advocating for this, I would go for two. And if the Mansions of the World uh, think that's too much, then we go for one. But at least one. Uh, to settle the score over Merrick Garland, and and this is not like some kind of revenge fantasy. This is just about people's lives, right? Uh, and saying, look, like if you're going to mess with the institutions of the U.S. government, the the Supreme Court has changed numbers for people who don't know over time, and so it's there's nothing sacred about the number nine. Now we should have kept it sacred because it it's very helpful uh, in for just the stability of our already screwed up politics to just keep the number at nine and have a truce. But the minute they did the Garland stuff and then are going to turn around and violate that principle, um, we have no reason to respect some arbitrary rule that they don't, uh, they don't respect.
1: So I think let's do something that we don't usually do on this podcast, which is what should Biden do or, or not even what should Biden do? What should, uh, you know, what should people running for office right now do? What You know, that kind of thing so I'm going to let's, you know, we'll make an exception Go for it. Yeah. yeah. And here's what I yeah. think. This is just my own personal view. Um, look, I don't like the fact that politics have become a, in, in America about who holds power and that you can end up with, you know, vertical integration of power. Just, you know, I don't like it. It's where we are at this moment. And, and so in my view, what I would do right now, I would say, look, I don't believe based on their prior behavior I don't believe it is fair to the American people to make this appointment it, you know the the person who wins this November that's the president who should make the nomination and then I would which we all agree with and I would say
0: yeah and he should he should he should frame that because I'm sure he said the opposite during Merrick Garland so I would frame it in saying it's saying because, because of, the of principle what happened that's been laid, yeah because yeah. of the principle that's been laid you know yeah, yeah. and
1: say say this is not what I believe before but that's what they did and it would be unfair to the American people to be inconsistent. So if that's what they're about, then they should stick with that. And then I would say, and if they don't, on behalf of the American people, as the next president, I will undo that wrong. I will right that wrong. And and so then you say, like, look, I don't want to change this norm. I don't want us to have to have more than nine. I don't want it to be that if you're president, you and you have the Senate, then all of a sudden you can put enough through to create a majority for your side. But if that's what they want, it's their decision. That decision is Mitch McConnell's. If that's what he wants to have happen, then appoint somebody right now or after the election before I take office. It's up to you. I'm not making the decision, Mitch McConnell. You're making the decision.
0: I yeah, I would go a step further. You might disagree with me on this one, but I would be like, I'd be a little gangster about it. I'd be like, look, <laughs> to, to to teach you a lesson, we're going for two. If I win right, this exactly. Step. No, you it's it's an ultimatum. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not even. Yeah, yeah. A,
1: I'm not gonna. It's it's got a. You know, it's it's this. I I am so against this. That I I have to make it clear that it's unacceptable and therefore there has to be a consequence for it.
0: And you turn into an advantage because, look, we wanted Biden to do this before this, right? So I think the politics of this get easier for him in a situation where if he says before the election, look, you don't fill this until I get, it. like the president, the next president sits with the next Senate, I won't push for yeah. additional Supreme Court seats. But if you do it, I'm going for two. And you did this to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, you did this to all of us. You know, you do know? You, how how much do you want to bet on President Trump?
0: Yeah, you and know that I think will. Ma- I think if I'm a conservative, I would think twice about that one because, because everybody knows we've got. Uh, they would re- rather be us than them with the with the numbers. Exactly, that we have right now. and
1: look at where they were. They are in the exact same position that they were in in 2016, and here's why: because Mitch McConnell understands what he understood then, and why he blocked Merrick Garland. Or, or why, why they were like, no, we're blocking Mary Garland. And then the next time they're like, no, we're pushing through our own. Right. Why did they do that? Because they thought in 2016 that Hillary Clinton was going to be the president. That's why. Right. And they were like, but they weren't like, we're holding out in case Trump wins. They were like, we are holding out because we think it's going to give us votes. And they were right. As somebody yeah. who was on the ballot, I can tell you that it it is one of many things that was probably the difference in a lot of senate races including mine and, you know one of them is the comey letter but there's other stuff and so you know that motivated a lot of people to get out there and vote in senate races that they that otherwise would not have i mean I'm, i have no i have no problem believing that there were a lot of people who who were trump voters who didn't like their republican senator and weren't going to vote for them but because of the possibility of that Supreme Court seat, they did, and he knows that, and he's got the same motivation, but now he has a different calculus because now he can have somebody saying, "You, you better be right. You better win." And,
0: and you know what the number one meme I see see out there that try that, to convince Bernie supporters and others, uh, or non voters or people who are not considering voting for the Democrats who who lean towards the progressive side, uh, the number one meme I see out there before this day was. Do you want Trump appointing more Supreme Court justices or not? And that argument is only going to get more potent. So, uh, so that's the advice for Biden. I think for Biden, I think it's like keep keep it keep it cool and be like, look, this is in your hands. Like the bird is in your hands. Like you know the old Korean proverb. Like like the bird is in your hands, Trump. And so you do this, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna piss off all of us. We're gonna we're gonna we'll walk through fire to cast this ballot, and we're gonna double up once I get into office, uh, and you're also going to compromise your own senators on this kind of stuff who are in critical reelections and you're just going to make them look incredibly partisan and unprincipled. Um, anything else on the Biden front before we talk about quickly how to talk to your families and then, uh, get on with our Friday nights.
1: Yeah. I've, I mean, honestly, like I've probably said too much publicly about what I think, (laughs) (laughs) but as somebody who is helping the campaign, but, but I will, I will, I will say, uh, I, I do think it's it's valuable for us to to move to to the next piece, which is how should everybody because this is going to be the topic no matter what. This is going to be the topic for the next, uh, I you know I want to say a few weeks, but I never know in American politics anymore. Um, and so I, I think you just start. I don't. I think the instinct is to talk about fairness, um, and I'm trying to figure out if if you're talking to somebody if they're going to care about that. I think it's more about like, yeah about. The idea that um, we don't want America to be a place that's this unpredictable—that that's not yeah. not good for America.
0: Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's I think it's just pointing like it's just I think keeping calm. Like I think the tone of where we got to at the end of the past part is like, you know, my my relatives, you know, like like my dad um, and and sometimes my brother. Uh, and other relatives, they kind of turn into like a little bit of a bully mode sometimes when they get to this stuff. And they almost want me to whine about it. So I don't give that to them. So, you know, when I'm sitting around from them, I'd be like confident in the outcome of this election. I'd be like, look, this helps us. Like you being an ass and your entire party being an ass on this kind of stuff is bad for the country, but is going to give us what we want, which is we want House Bill 1. We want D.C. statehood. And we want to add seats to the Supreme Court. But we are tethered to norms and institutions. And so it's hard for us to get to that place. But, you know, like like, you know, when Bill Belichick in the in the locker room puts up the newspaper article of the opposing team talking shit before that week, it gives us something heading into the election where you're like, I wish didn't this didn't happen, but I want you to read this article and then I want you to run through this brick wall on the way to victory, um and and savor it even more. Um and so just like just taunting them almost uh is almost the <laughs> best way. I know this is, I've never I never say this on majority before, but being like, look, if this is the way you wanna go, um mm-hmm. this is not a good faith disagreement. This isn't like, hey, like no, we have a different it's a, belief on where life begins is, or something. This is about power. You know? It's yeah, about power. It's about power. Yeah. And, and like in that case, you don't owe somebody like some kind of cordial conversation about it, Right. Opinion, yeah, I know? think
1: I think I think one, you wanna <clears throat> I, I think you want to avoid as much as possible making it, I mean, because what we're really talking about is is a, a great American died, right? And so we don't want to be in a solely in a back and forth about what that means for the strategy of this or that. So I think you want to acknowledge that and you want to say something about that. And then I think you want to take that and say, and here's why people like me consider her a great American. And you talk about the things that matter to you so much on the court. So I, if this is a process argument, if you are arguing with someone who voted for Trump or who is considering voting for Trump, if you try and make this about process, they're going to have two reactions. One, I don't care enough about politics to care about the process. I'm not invested in this norm i you know I, you know you're probably talking to somebody who's not an attorney not, you know right I mean like they don't care about that. and the second thing is, well look I, I've been for the side that now has the power, so why would I care about that? process. So I think instead, you do what has always been to our strength, and that is to engage on the issues that are decided before the court. And that is, you talk about voting rights, you talk about, you know, everything having to do with voting rights, you talk about in Citizens United, you talk about money and politics, and then depending on your audience, you may talk about the right to choose, you may talk about, uh, you know, the rights of LGBT folks, the, you know, the rights of, uh, you know, everybody in, in this country. And
0: so you're proposing an alternative to taunting your relatives, which I think <laughs> is very constructive, very so
1: constructive. I think uh, it depends on how close <laughs> they are. If it's your dad or your brother... And now I've never met your dad or your brother, but I'm starting to get to feel like I know at least your dad.
0: I want to give my brother an out because the last conversation I had with my brother, he was he was in a different place than I've seen him. So I want to I want to acknowledge his his evolution. My dad is a full blown Scientologist about this kind of stuff uh, in the way his mind. Works. <laughs> what a funny way just, to put that. Yeah, he just his mind just doesn't like it's like a brick wall. Uh, But I like what you said, because that also we get a lot of voicemails about talking to Bernie voters. And and this is an opening if there ever was one. I mean, not not to mean to bet Bernie voters writ large, but Bernie voters who who are questioning whether they should support to motivate Biden. Yeah, because I want to be clear, there are tons of Bernie voters who turned around and, and supported the nominee. Yeah. so I don't want to be well. And
1: the either. thing about this is, like, yep. we always talk about it in terms of how people vote. But one thing I, I keep, I have actually been meaning to point out for a few episodes is that our listeners have a responsibility to do more than just motivate people to vote for our side. Because this and this can have every bit as much to do with winning. You also have to have the the tools to motivate or to make an argument to motivate people to do more than vote. To motivate people to get out there and to knock on doors, or or in this case, to make phone calls and text bank. So that's a really important part of this. And frankly, the other thing I've been meaning to mention on the show is that, you know, if you don't win an argument with somebody who disagrees with you and is with the other side, you might just win just enough to where they don't pull a shift volunteering for the other side. And so this is all a part of that.
0: Yeah, exhaust them. Uh, So, um, you know, given we're Friday night, we'll well, ride off into the sunset. But uh, you know, rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, eighty-seven years old, um, born uh, March fifteenth, nineteen thirty-three. Uh, was famous till the end for her workout routine. And so, you know, Jason, let's do uh, let's do uh, eighty-seven second planks this weekend for her, um, and tag it to the Majority Fifty Four account. And then
1: it's uh, a good idea. I like that. Then
0: th- then let's give all the pain to the other side from here on out. After that,
1: all right. Perfect. Perfect closing, man. I'm not even... Well, I'll do the end, which is, uh, you know, remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.
0: Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders, Zachary Carabell and Executive Director, Emma Lucas